morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> I'm excited. I always get excited being here. I say this all the time, but I love, love, love being with you guys, you guys at home as well. I love preaching God's word and just coming together and learning from him as we open his word. I don't know if you guys know, you probably do. I am a very, very, very proud father of two young men. And for as long as I can remember, I've been telling my boys, be secure in who you are. I've been reminding my boys who their identity is. I keep telling them, you are a child of God. You're an Aranda. You're a Steeler fan. <laughs> secure. You boys are athletic, I tell them. You're handsome. You're smart. And I want them to believe that because that's who their father, me, says that they are. Now, if you're a parent, you're probably doing the same thing, I hope, right? You want to encourage your kids to be positive about themselves, to be humble, to walk with pride, knowing who they are, right? So I wonder wh where they start falling away from that truth. I wonder where we start falling away from that truth. Because look around. Our identity now is shifts from who we believe we are to what the world says we are. If we're honest, our identity is based on maybe the money we make, the titles that we have, the car that we drive, the way we look. I'm guilty of that. Because really we're insecure because we're not establishing the truth of who we are. And it's getting worse and worse, isn't it not? I mean, nowadays, if you identify as a dragon, I'm a dragon, I'm a squirrel, whatever. And I believe we are not secure in that identity because we start believing the lies. And further than that, because we don't know the truth of who we are. Again, nowadays, the truth is whatever you want truth to be. If that truth makes you happy, if you feel good about that truth... Then let that be your truth. You be you. Famous words we're hearing now, right? But church, you know what? Nothing has changed. There's nothing new beneath the sun. And 2,000 years ago, as we're reading this letter in Colossians, 2,000 years ago, the people of Colossians was also, the church of Colossians was also struggling with their identity. And as we've been telling you, the main theme of this letter written by Paul while he was incarcerated in Rome, the main letter is to remind that church and other churches around that Christ is sufficient, that Christ is supreme. You don't need anything else. Christ alone, period. But back then, like it is today, others, false teachers, we're telling the church, we're telling the people lies. And in particular, Paul was concerned with two groups, the Gnostics and Judaizers. Gnosticism was creeping into that church. And what the Gnostics were teaching, the false teachers were teaching was that, yeah, Christ, what he did at the cross, that was okay, but there's more. There's more wisdom and knowledge and philosophy you have to understand. There's more mystery in Christ. And then the Judaizers, on the other hand, what they were teaching was, yeah, yeah, Christ, what he did at the cross, that was good, that was sufficient, but not enough. 
You need to add things. As a matter of fact, you need to add traditions, human traditions. You need to be circumcised. You need to watch what you eat. You need to do these rules, these religion. And so Paul was combating these two lies. And in particular, what we're going to look at today as we continue chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul's going to say, hey, don't listen to what others say you are. Don't listen to what others say you have to do because Christ, again, is sufficient and supreme. What he did, he did once and for all and it's taken care of. As a matter of fact, we're going to narrow down and we're going to look at and just really get to the, the thrust of today's sermon, which is my sermon point for you today is this. That Paul's going to remind them, going to remind us that in Christ, in Christ, my identity is received. It is not achieved. In Christ, we are who we are, not of our doing. It's all because of what he has done. There's nothing we can do to merit our salvation. Our salvation has been achieved not by us, but by him. And we're going to see that as we go in today's scripture. So we got your Bibles with you, which I hope you do. It's Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Go ahead and open them up. We are going to have the verses on the screen behind me. And Paul begins this section of scripture by saying this. Verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, if you've got your Bibles, underline therefore. That is just a huge word in the Bible. And every time you see that word therefore, you've got to ask yourselves, what is it there for? And all of the time, that word therefore always points back to something that the author was talking about. Summarizing what he has said so he can go on to say what he has to say. In this case, Paul says, therefore, what I just wrote to you in the first chapter, because he is supreme, because he is sufficient, because everything was made through him, for him, by him, because he's above everything else, therefore, he says... And he gives his first command. He says, therefore, walk in him. And then he shows us how. Gives us two ways to walk in him. He says, be rooted and built up in him. I love that word. Paul is using this word picture of a plant, of a tree. And he says, be rooted. And I picture a palm tree. Because a palm tree has really deep roots. And if you notice, a palm tree rarely ever falls to the ground, no matter what winds come its way. Because they're so planted, so rooted. In the same manner, Paul's saying, be rooted in him. While you're walking with him, be rooted. Be secure in who he is. Don't let the wind of false teaching knock you off. Stay the course. Be rooted in him. Be built up in him. And then he says the second thing, established in faith. So I picture this, we are rooted in him, we are growing with him, and faith waters us. Just like a plant needs water, we need him daily, trusting in him so we can grow 
And then he says, abounding, being thankful always. As we continue to be built up in him, being rooted in him, our overflow of thankfulness will be shown. So Paul tells the early church, first of all, what to do. And now he's going to go on and say what not to do. Verse 8. See to it that no one. Now this word, or two words, no one, is really interesting. So I did a, a word search in Greek. And you know what no one means? No one. Nobody. Nothing. No one. No matter what language, Hebrew, Greek, English, Spanish, it means no one. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So notice, Paul says two things for us not to be captive to. Make sure no one holds you captive to, first of all, philosophy. Now, let me make it clear. Paul's not saying that philosophy is bad. Wisdom is good. What Paul is telling you and me in the early church back then is don't be caught up in false knowledge. Don't listen to lies. Don't be captive to that. And he tells the same thing to Paul, I mean to Timothy. Paul does in 1 Timothy 6.20. He says this, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. So Paul is saying, don't be captive to philosophy. He also writes to the letter at Ephesus in Ephesians 5, 6. He says this, let no one, there's that word again, let no one deceive you. Don't fall into the lies with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Two things Paul is saying. Don't be captive to philosophy and don't be captive to empty deceit, which is just misleading views, lies. Verse 8, going back again, he says it's. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And check this out. He says, how? How can we be captive? What can capture us into this false teaching? And he numbers two things. I'm a big number guy. So if you got your Bible, put numbers. This is what he says. Number one, don't be captive into these false teachings by human tradition. Number one. That's the first one. And the second one, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So how can you be captive to these lies? By two things. By human tradition. And the other thing, by Satan. That's what he's saying. The elemental spirits of the world. Why? Because these things, these, both these things are not according to Christ, who is the ultimate truth, the only truth. That's what he's warning us about. And then verse 9 and 10, I love this part, these verses, because he's going to go on and, and remind us of who we are in Christ. He says this in verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. There's a deity of Christ. He's reminding us Jesus is God. God is Jesus in the flesh. 
and you, man, if you have your, your Bibles, highlight this, underline it, circle it, point arrows to it, and you have been filled in him. What a beautiful promise. Who is the head of all rule and authority. Again, Paul is saying Jesus is supreme, Jesus is efficient, Jesus is God, and we are filled in him. You don't need anything or anyone else for your fulfillment. He is it. And it's a reminder right in the middle of how he continues in the following verses. You notice, because I do, that we've been saying in him, with him, because of him, of him, throughout these series. As a matter of fact, it's not a coincidence <laughs> that the name of our series is Complete in Him. And in these verses, we're just seeing why. Because everything is in him. Our identity is in him. Everything has been achieved by him. As a matter of fact, I counted 14 times. I might have missed a couple of times that in this letter, Paul writes these beautiful words, in him. Before I go on to verse 11, let me just give us some context again what we just read. Let me summarize because I love what Paul does. He, he continues really an argument with which he started. He continues to defend the truth. And this is what he says, and just to remind us, first of all, he says, for us to be rooted, because he's sufficient, because he's supreme, we need to be rooted in him. Don't fall astray to these lies. He is God. He is overall. And he says, don't be captive. He tells us what we need to do, and then he says, don't be captive to two things, philosophy and traditions, human traditions. Avoid captivity by that. And how do we get captive most of the times by those things or by these things? He says this, tradition and the elemental spirits of the world. Both of those things are not according to Christ. Are we tracking? And now Paul is going to go on verse 11 and he's going to just face those lies head on. And what he's going to do, he's going to first of all tackle the lie that we need to follow human tradition. And watch what he does. I think it's awesome. He says this in verse 11. In him, there are the words again. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He's saying right off the bat, don't listen to the Judaizers. You don't have to be circumcised. You've been circumcised as a spiritual circumcision. Christ has changed your heart. Don't follow the lies of the Judaizers. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. Verse 14, this is how. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Man, there's so much in here. I could just preach three sermons on this. 
So Paul's starting right off the bat. Don't listen to religion. Don't fall into that trap. You don't have to do those things. It's been done for you. And then he paints this beautiful picture of who we were and who we are now. We've been baptized. We are a new creation, not because of what we have done or could ever do. It's all about him. And I love that promise. And Paul says the same thing in Romans 6.4. He says this, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, that's another word you should underline. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When anyone puts their trust in Jesus Christ, the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And how are these promises accomplished? Verse 14, let's read this again. By canceling the record of debt, our sin debt. That stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. How? Can you read that out loud with me? How did was this done? Nailing it. Nailing it to the cross. I think, and I'm pretty sure, some of you sitting here or maybe watching at home might have that question that if you were to die today, would you be in heaven? Now, if your answer is, I don't know, I hope so. I think I've done good things. At least I've done more good things than I have bad things. If that's your response today, then you don't understand the truth of the gospel. See, a lot of us, including myself, was raised thinking that we have to do certain things to pay for our sin debt. You know what that's called? It's called religion. Follow this. Do this. Be able to do this to accomplish reaching God. Religion teaches this. All religions teach that it's works-based. Our salvation is work-based. Which says we have to be good enough. We have to obey in order to be justified. The gospel, the truth, the good news is that we've been justified not because of anything we could ever do, but because of what he did at the cross. And because we've been justified, we obey. Ephesians 2, 8, 11, it's by grace. It is a free gift. It's by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, that we've been saved. So when Jesus hung on the cross, and the moment he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, he felt the punishment, the punishment that you and I should have received. But when he said, it is done, as they nailed him to the cross, it was complete. And what we need to do is just put our trust not in ourselves, but in what he has done and only him alone. And then Paul finishes with this powerful, powerful verse, verse 15. He, speaking of Jesus, says, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. I love that. By triumphing over them in him. In the same manner as Jesus hung on the cross 
And he said, it is finished. At that moment, the enemy's hand was like, yes, we got him. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. At that moment, at that moment, just like it was promised in Genesis, at that moment, Jesus went mm, and crushed the serpent's head. And I love what he says. He has put all that authority to shame. You ain't got nothing on me, Satan. Not because of me, but because of him. My oldest was, I think, in eighth grade. He came home one day and he was down. He was just depressed. I had not seen him like that in a long time. My son is a very cheerful young man. And I went into his room and I said, son, what's wrong? And he said, dad, these other people, these friends of mine, who I thought were friends, are making fun of me. Saying, I'm not this good, I'm not this, I'm not that. And I said, no, son, remember what I've told you time and time again. You are my son. God loves you. Don't listen to the lies. And his demeanor changed. And he remembered. I know a lot of us are sitting here today or at home that the enemy's been telling in our heads, you're not good enough. You can't be forgiven. You're not a Christian. You're weak. In the same manner, I want us to remember what we just read. That Jesus has defeated him. So don't listen to the lies. Your identity of who you are has been received through him. So as we close, as the band is behind me, what I want us to do is take a moment where you're at. Or if you want to come up and be prayed over, we've got two deacons on the side as well. For God to remind you of who you are, that you are loved, that you are strong in him. For us not to listen to the lies, but believe in him.